Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This show is brought to you by Backblaze. I use Backblaze to back up my podcast, my video files all of my writing stuff and all my photos. And you get unlimited computer backup for Macs and PCs for just $7 a month. You can back up your own documents, photos, videos, drawings, projects, all of your data and access your backed up data from anywhere in the world using the web app. And you can access the files on your mobile too. iOS, Android apps, all covered. And this is the cool part. This is my favorite part. You can restore it by mail. A hard drive will come to your house with all your data shipped to your door. It could come to your business too. And you can restore return refund program. So you can buy a hard drive restore, send the hard drive back within 30 days and get a full refund. So basically they ship you this hard drive and then you ship it back and you don't ever pay for it, which is the perfect program for somebody who has huge files and you don't want to waste days and days downloading terabytes and teraflops of data. And if you're worried about accidentally deleting your files, Two bucks extra a month, you can increase your retention history to one year. And I use it for all of my video files. It comes in super handy. So $7 plus $2, $9 a month, and you get everything backed up. Ease of mind for up to a year. And if you use the URL backblaze.com slash Elon, you get a fully featured 15-day no credit card required free trial. Check it out. Play with it. Start protecting yourself from potential bad times. Back your stuff up. It's recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9 to 5 Mac, and more. And it's recently been listed on the NASDAQ Stock Exchange under BLZE, so you know they're legit. Backblaze is committed more than ever to bringing easy and affordable data storage that you can trust. Don't be that person that forgot to back up their important files. We've got your back. Sign up for a free 15-day trial. No credit card required. Go there, sign up, play with it. It's really powerful and it's really easy to use. So go to backblaze.com slash Elon. Backblaze.com slash Elon. Backblaze.com slash Elon. This podcast is sponsored by NordVPN. Uh, so why do you need a VPN? Do you use public internet access? Do you use public Wi-Fi, something like Starbucks, someplace that you go out, you, you know, you're at a doctor's office or something, you want to use their Wi-Fi? Well, NordVPN encrypts a tunnel for your online traffic to flow through. So bad actors can't get their hands on your internet data. And right now, if you go to nordvpn.com slash space news pod, you can get a huge, huge deal on stuff. 70% off NordVPN right now. It's only $3.49 per month, plus you get an additional month free. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to nordvpn.com slash spacenewspod, or use the coupon code spacenewspod when you check out. So check out NordVPN in the show notes. Pretty simple. It's straightforward. It's easy to use. You can use it on your phone, laptop, your home computer, any device that you have, they have the app for it. So check it out. In the show notes, nordvpn.com slash space news pod. Hey, 
Hello, and welcome back to the Elon Musk pod. This is a podcast about everything Elon Musk. I'm your host, Will Walden. And on this episode, this is Elon Musk talking about the past, the present, and the future of SpaceX, focusing on Starship. So I want to take one second to say thank you to everybody who's been subscribing to the show. If you haven't subscribed yet, please hit that subscribe button. Also, thank you to Audible, the fine sponsor of this podcast. Uh, you can check out the show notes and you can get two free audiobooks if you click the link. So thank you to my sponsors. And here is Elon Musk talking about Starship. Enjoy, my friends. quite windy here. Uh, it's tied down well, though. I think uh, it's, it's, this is, uh, oh, I actually wasn't expecting it to be this windy. Hopefully you can actually hear what I'm saying. Um, you, okay, great, great. Um, so uh, this, is, this is, I think, the, the most inspiring thing that I've ever seen. Um, and I'd just like to uh, thank the, the, the SpaceX team and the, the suppliers and um, the, the, the people of, uh, of Boca Chica and Brownsville. Uh, thank you for your support and uh, just like, wow, what an incredible job um, by a, a, such a great team to build this incredible vehicle. Uh, so I was like, well, first of all, I want to start with that. Uh, so. I'm just so 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 proud to work with such a great team, um, and uh, <laughs> it's really ripping here. By the way, if you're watching this online, <laughs> it is like uh, it is really windy. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the the point of this uh, this presentation and this this event is really uh, there, there are two elements to it. One is to uh, in, inspire the public, um, get people excited about. Uh, our future in space, and um, and get people fired up about the future. The you know what what um, th there are so many things to worry about, so many things to be concerned about. Um, there's there are many troubles in the world, of course, and we th these are important, and we need to solve them. But we also need things that make us ex excited to be alive, that make us glad to wake up in the morning, um, and be fired up about the future, and, and think, yeah, the future is going to be great. You know, and, and this space exploration is one of those things. Um, and becoming a, a space-faring civilization, being out there among the stars, this is one of the things that I, I know makes, makes me glad to be alive. I think it makes many people glad to be alive. It's one of the best things. And there's, there's really, we're, we're, we're faced with a choice. Which future do you want? Do you want the future where we become a space-faring civilization and are in many worlds? and out there among the stars, or one where we are forever confined to Earth. And I say it is the first. And, and, and I hope you agree with me. Yeah. So, so what, the, the, the critical breakthrough that's needed for us to become a space-bearing civilization is to make space travel like air travel. So, 
Uh, with, with air travel, you could, you, when, you, when you fly a plane, um, you, you, you fly that plane many times. I mean, at the risk of stating the obvious, it really almost any mode of transport, whether it's a plane, a car, a horse, a bicycle, is reusable. You use that mode of transport many times. And if you had to get a new plane every time you flew somewhere, and even get have two planes for a return journey, very few people could afford to fly. Or if you could use a car only once, very few people could afford to drive a car. So the, the critical breakthrough that's necessary is a rapidly reusable orbital rocket. This is, a, this is basically the holy grail of, of uh, space. Um, and the, the fundamental thing that's, that's required. And it's, it is a very hard thing to do. It's only barely possible with, with the physics of, uh, of Earth. I mean, if, if, gravity, if Earth's gravity was a little heavier, it would be, it would be impossible. Um, and if Earth's gravity was a little lighter, it would be quite easy. Um, so we're really right on the cusp of what is physically possible. So in, in order to create a rapidly reusable uh, rocket, and fully reusable orbital rocket, you have to have engines that are, ha have incredibly uh, high specific impulse, that, have, that essentially are extremely efficient. You need to have a structure that is also incredibly mass efficient. Um, and, and, and then that all needs to come back to the launch pad and be able to be uh, refilled with propellant and flown again very quickly, just like an aircraft. So it's, it's, just, it's just because of the physics of, of, of Earth being, having, being quite a, a deep gravity well and having quite a thick atmosphere, this is, this is, a, a, very, this is a, a tough but not impossible thing. But it is the most fundamental thing. So with, with SpaceX, you know, we, um, we, we started out uh, 17 years ago, and uh, the, the first rocket we designed was the, the, the Falcon 1, which was that guy right there. Three, so, two, yeah. one. Stage separation. Separation confirmed. So, so Falcon 1, we thought, yeah, uh, good old Falcon 1. Um, I mean, we, we started off, we were very naive. In, in fact, the, the reason, I should say, the reason it's September 28th was, September, this is the 11th anniversary of the first time SpaceX uh, reached orbit. So 11 years ago today, SpaceX made orbit for the first time. Um, and it, it, it was actually our, it was our fourth launch, and if we if that launch had not succeeded, SpaceX that would have been the end of SpaceX. That was all, I, I'd run out of money. There were no there were no more investors, um, and and that would have been it. So if, if that fourth launch had not succeeded, that would have been curtains. But fortunately, fate smiled on us that day, and, and we, we made it to orbit. And I have great respect for anyone who makes it to orbit. That was a hard thing, um, <laughs> um, and, and, and then. We were very naive, obviously very naive on, naive on, on, on many levels uh, back, back then, because we, we, we did actually try to recover the first stage. So the first stage had a, a parachute on it, and, and we thought, okay, we'll just pop the parachute um, when it comes back into the atmosphere, and then it'll land somewhere in the ocean, we'll go fish it out of the ocean with a boat. Um, this, is not, this does not work. Um, so, and I actually remember getting mad at the parachute supplier. I'm like, yeah, your parachute didn't work. I'm like, no, it wasn't their fault. 
Um, when the rocket comes in fr from, uh, from space, um, it's coming in, the, that first stage is coming in like, you know, Mach 10 to 12, and it, it hits the atmosphere like it's a concrete wall, and boom. <laughs> so um, you actually have to orient the rocket carefully. You have to have uh, aerodynamic surfaces. You have to do um, an entry burn to slow it down. You got, you got, then you've, you've got to guide it through the atmosphere. Um, and then uh, do a propulsive landing. Uh, this took us many, uh, many attempts. Um, and we actually uh, did like a video of, all, of a blooper reel of all the times we failed, which was a lot. I think it might have taken us like 14 attempts or something before we finally successfully landed the rocket. So, um, so we, if, we, if we go on to the next uh, slide, we can take a look at, uh, th this is Grasshopper. This is the, this, that's actually Falcon 9. Um, it's hard to tell the scale. But that's, that's a Falcon 9-sized uh, booster with one engine and, and uh, big legs with giant shock absorbers because we didn't know what, what the heck we were doing. Um, now, amazingly, Grasshopper had zero, zero, zero crashes. Grasshopper is still alive. So the, um, th that was a, so, so they have Falcon 1, what you saw there was a Falcon 9 size vehicle. And, and then what, what's really kind of hard to grasp um, at, at, a, at a visceral level is that this giant ship will do the same thing that Grasshopper did. So this, this thing is going to take off, uh, fly to 65,000 feet, about 20 kilometers, and come back and land um, in, in about uh, one to two months. So that giant thing is really going to be pretty epic to see that thing take off and come back. Um, and then hopefully, yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Um, it's, it, so now I, I, there, there's, this is a quite radical, I'll, I'll talk about it later in the presentation. This is, this is a quite, quite a new approach to controlling, uh, controlling a rocket, um, much more akin to a skydiver than a plane. Uh, but I'll talk about that later. So um, going from, uh, from Falcon 1 to Falcon 9 to Falcon Heavy, which we launched, actually the first launch of Falcon Heavy was only uh, February of last year. So it's only been about a year and a half since the first Falcon Heavy launch when we did two side-by-side -side booster landings. Um, and it was like this, this video that was uh, done by my friend Jonah. It's a god awful small affair to the girl with the mousy hair. But her mommy is yelling no, and her daddy has told her to go. But her friend is nowhere to be seen. 
Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seats with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a sad thing for For she's lifted ten times or more I never thought that would happen, actually. Um, glad that it did. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny, like, the, 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 you know, some people wonder, like, why, why, why do we have the roadster with the astronaut, you know, Starman? And it was, actually just came from a discussion of my friend Jonas. I was at his, in his kitchen, and I was like, you know, normally when they do a rocket launch, they launch a rocket concrete, but that sounds, doesn't sound very inspiring. So... What do you think the most is, what do you think the most sort of fun thing is that we could launch? And he was like, well, why don't you just launch a Tesla? And um, that's a great idea. Um, and there's a, yeah. And then another friend of mine, she said, uh, why don't you put a tiny Tesla on the dashboard? So we put a tiny Tesla on the dashboard with a tiny star man in the tiny Tesla. <laughs> um, this is just to confuse the aliens in the future. <laughs> they were like, what the heck is this? <laughs> So, yeah, you know, just want something to capture the imagination, get people excited about space. Um, so let's see, Starship. Um, so this is, uh, as you, well, you can really see it right there, obviously. Uh, there's a picture, more rendering. It's um, about 150, about, about 50 meters, so, um, you know, but sort of 165 feet or so. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the, the ship, I think, <laughs> actually, I noticed we have an error in our ship dry mass here. My apologies. <laughs> I, I, I wish it was uh, 85 tons. <laughs> the sh ship dry mass would be approximately 120 tons. Um, this, the, the, the initial Mark 1 prototype is, is closer to 200 tons, and the, in series production, um, I think it'll probably be about 120 tons. Uh, if we get really lucky, it might get down to 110. 99 would be super epic. Um, so, uh, but, but in, in terms of its, of its usefulness, it'll be, be able to do about 150 tons with full reusability uh, to orbit and back. So this is, this is a very you know, big number for full reusability. Um, 
The, the, ver the very initial versions, we're confident we'll do over 100 tons, but I think we, there's a clear path to uh, 150 tons. Um, and the, the, the cost of, of, of a fully reusable system is basically the cost of the propellant, which is mostly oxygen. Um, this is th uh, three and a half tons of, oxy of oxygen for every one ton of fuel. So one of the advantages of, of, the, of, of this architecture uh, over the Falcon architecture is that we actually use more oxygen uh, per, per unit of fuel rather than, than less. So um, um, Merlin or the, 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 the Falcon architecture is about two and a half tons of oxygen for every one ton of fuel. This is three and a half tons of oxygen for every one ton of fuel. So when this ascends, it, it's really mostly liquid oxygen. Um, because when you get to vacuum, there's no air, basically. Um, so, yeah. Um, the next slide. So, yeah. So, the, um, earlier I was talking about how Starship uh, enters and how it's controlled. Um, it's it's really qu it's quite different from anything else. It's really um, falling, and so we're doing a controlled fall. So, with with a rocket, you're actually trying to break. Um, as opposed to, you're trying to create drag instead of lift. It's, it's really the opposite of an aircraft. You want the most amount of drag that you can produce. Um, and you want some lift, especially when you're in the upper atmosphere, mostly so that you don't, you can control the maximum heating rate. Um, you want enough lift to keep yourself high in the, the low density portion of the atmosphere, so you can, you can, you can burn off velocity. And, and then, uh, so you want, and, and, but, the, but then, you know, basically it goes like, if this is the if this is the Earth, it goes it goes at about a sixty degree. <laughs> My hand is the rocket. <laughs> it, it's it's going at about sixty degrees. Um, so when when in orbit, you're you're actually going at around twenty five times the speed of sound, horizontal to the ground. So this is a, a very important concept that is counterintuitive to our normal daily life. Um, being in orbit, being in zero g, is not about altitude. It's about velocity. How fast are you going? Um, uh, horizontally, <laughs> this doesn't. Um, so when when something's in orbit, it's zooming around the Earth so fast that the outward acceleration, outward radial acceleration, is in, equal to the inward acceleration of gravity, and then you have zero gravity. This is why you actually have zero gravity. The space station. People often think the space station is stationary, but it's actually going around the world at 25 times the speed of sound, or about 17,000 miles an hour. It, look, it, it always looks stationary in the pictures. Um, and since there's no air, you don't have to have a, um, an aerodynamic structure. So you can be a totally crazy structure that, that doesn't look like it should be able to go 25 times the speed of sound, but it does. Um, and you can only feel acceleration. You can't feel velocity. So people sometimes like to wonder, what does it feel like to go 25 times the speed of sound? Actually, it feels like nothing. Um, only accelerating to there feels like something. So. So the, so the so Starship is coming in. This is the, if this this platform is the Earth, it's coming in at at hypersonic velocity like this, sort of at around a 60 degree angle. So it comes like this, and then starts falling, and then just falls like a skydiver, and it's just controlling itself, and then it, it turns and lands, like that. So that's incredibly elaborate explanation. Um, and then you can get a sense for it. This is much better. <laughs> there you go. See? Same thing. <laughs> it looks better with the hand? Okay. <laughs>
But it'll look totally nuts to see that thing land. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Wow. Um, so. Uh, cool. So let's see. Talking about uh, the, the Raptor engine. Um, so there's, 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 the ship will have a total of six engines, uh, three um, of the sea level variety of, of Raptor. And those are actually on the rocket right now. So we have the three sea level. In fact, that's a picture of, of just inside that skirt. That's what it looks like. So we've got the three um, sea level Raptor engines. And they, they gimbal, which, is, which means that the whole engine moves. So the way the rocket uh, steers is by moving the entire engine. So whereas an aircraft engine is static and you, you move by moving like the control surfaces like the uh, ailerons and rudder and elevator and flaps, this, um, in this, the rocket, when the, when the engines are powered, um, you move the entire engine to steer it. But, so, so the Starship will have three uh, sea level uh, engines that move up to about 15 degrees uh, angle and three vacuum engines that are optimized for efficiency that will be um, that will not move. So they will be just fixed in place. Um, and that allows us to have the biggest bell nozzle for the, uh, for the, for the, for the vacuum Raptor engines. Um, and uh, aspirationally, the, the target is a, a 380 second ISP for the vacuum engine. This is a very, in, in, in sort of space geek terms, this is like a really a great number. Um, and, and, and even for the, the steel engines to get over uh, th uh, a, th a th a 350-second uh, ISP is also uh, really great. So, oh, actually, yeah, sorry. I'm looking at the slide here, and you're not. So that's what I meant by it looks like that on the inside. Sorry, come back one side. That's the, that's the inside of the Starship right now. So that's what it looks like in the base. All right, and then heat shield. So um, we've gone through various iterations of heat shield. There's a lot of ways to... to uh, skin the cat here. Uh, the ultimately we decided to have uh, heat shield um, hexagonal tiles, uh, ceramic tiles that um, are, are basically are, are like a tiny glass vermicelli um, at a microstructure level. Um, but they're, so they're very very light, but 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 very um, crack resistant, uh, essentially glass tiles, um, and. They're because because Starship is an, is a steel construction. Like, it, like at first it feels like oh it's steel. Does that mean it's heavy? No, actually it's the lightest construction. This is steel is the best thing. Is the I think the best thing about best design decision on on this whole thing is a 301 stainless steel um, because at cryogenic temperatures a 301 stainless actually has about the same effective strength as an advanced composite or aluminum lithium. Unlike most steels, which get brittle at low temperature, um, it, 301 stainless gets much stronger. And if it's in the, in, the, in, the, in the extra hot condition, meaning it's cold rolled to extra hot condition, it also gets way stronger. So it gets, it actually gets, it, it's, it's strength to weight ratio um, at, at cryogenic temperatures is, is equivalent or even perhaps slightly better than, than um, advanced composites or aluminum lithium. So this is, this is not well appreciated, because if you just look at the materials manual and say, like, what, what is the strength of, of stainless steel, it, 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 it looks much weaker than it is. You say, what is the strength at cryogenic temperature? Oh, much, much stronger. 
uh, you know, at very low temperature, almost twice as strong. Um, that's when it becomes better than, than carbon fiber or, or, or aluminum lithium. And there's another benefit. It also has a high melting temperature. So for a reusable ship, you're coming in like a meteor. You want something that does not melt at a low temperature. You want something that melts at a high temperature. Um, and this is where steel is extremely good as well. Um, so it's, you know, steel ha has a melting temperature um, around sort of 1,500 degrees centigrade, uh, whereas uh, aluminum, you, you know, maybe 300 or 400 degrees. Um, and same thing for carbon fiber, and that's really pushing it. You know, you, you, so th this is ha having that much higher melting temperature means that you don't need any shielding on the, the leeward side of the, of the ship when it comes in for entry. And, and the shielding you need on the windward side, the hot side, is, is massively reduced because the, the, the thickness of the tile uh, is, is actually, for a reusable system, is dependent on what back shell temperature, like how hot does the back of the tile that interfaces with the airframe get. And because the steel can take a much higher temperature, your, your heat shield, even on the windward side, is much, is much lighter. The, the net effect is that a, 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 a 301 stainless steel rocket is actually the lightest possible reusable architecture. Then, then it comes come to cost. The, the carbon fiber we were using was $130 a ton. The steel is $2,500 a ton. Oh, sorry, sorry, two, two, sorry. Yeah, 25, it's, the, the, sorry, the $130,000 a ton versus $2,500 a ton. That makes more sense. So it was, it's $130,000 a ton for the carbon fiber and $2,500 a ton for the steel. So the steel is about 2% of the cost of the carbon fiber. So this is a good thing we changed from carbon fiber to steel, uh, by far. Uh, <laughs> it was, and and the, very easy to weld stainless steel. The, the evidence being that we welded it outdoors without a factory. So, yeah. yeah. Great skills by the team, but with, with carbon fiber, this is impossible. With uh, aluminum lithium, also impossible. Uh, but steel is, very, is, is, is easy to weld and it is resilient to the elements. Um, and also, uh, actually, uh, as, as uh, Austin earlier was saying, like, on, on Mars, you, you can like, cut that up, you can weld it, you can modify it, no problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. You're, you're out there on the moon or Mars, you, you want something that you can modify, that you can cut up and use for other things. That's like for sure a great thing. So anyway, steel, obviously I'm in love with steel. It's, uh, you know, it's time, uh, yeah, yeah, had to say it, you know. So great, so let's see, uh, going on to the booster. So the, the booster is designed to take up to 37 Raptor engines. I'm not sure if we'll go that high, but you can really, um, you know, have uh, 31. I think like the minimum number you'd want is, you know, maybe around 24. Um, but the, the booster is is designed to be able to take uh, multiple engines out. So you can actually add or subtract engines as you'd like. You basically just need a lot of force pushing up. Um, 
Over time, I think the pro you probably want around a 7,500-ton uh, force uh, rocket, um, which is about twice the thrust of a Saturn V, a little more than twice the th thrust, um, and, and, and on, on a roughly 5,000-ton uh, lift, liftoff, gross liftoff mass. Uh, so for roughly one and a half uh, thrust to weight. Um, for a reusable rocket, you actually want a high thrust to weight rather than uh, it, with a, an expendable rocket where you want a low thrust to weight. Um, because any thrust to weight below one is not useful. Like if you, if you, if you have less thrust than your weight, you don't move. Um, so you actually want a high thrust to weight for a reusable rocket. This is a, a very important um, design optimization change. Um, so, so that's why I think you know, more engines probably good um, and, and getting up to around 7,500 tons uh, over time uh, and a one and a half to one, one and a half thrust to weight ratio uh, or more. So, and, and we're, we think we're probably going to adjust the grid fin design to be kind of like a, more of like a diamond shape. Um, it looks cooler. Uh, it works better too. <laughs> and then the, the rear fins are actually just legs. So they're not, um, they're not need, needed for stabilization or guidance. They're, they're essentially uh, there for, for legs. All right, so some, let's go into some of the development testing. This is a Raptor firing. And then, uh, obviously, we, we had a Raptor fire on uh, the Starhopper. Uh, yeah. Um, it, and it's it's, it's kind of hard to see to appreciate scale, but it's the same diameter as the uh, Starship, and obviously it's just right over there. So it, it's kind of hard to tell if it's the size of a trash can or uh, the, you know how big it is. But it's it's a that, it's about, the the body diameter is about 30, nine meters or thirty feet, not including the leg span. <laughs> so this, <laughs> this gives you a sense of, of size. 
Um, so the little pixels there, that's a little, little pixels are a human. Um, and then there's the hopper next to it, the Millennium Falcon for comparison. Um, then Starship, which is what you see before you. And then that's what it look, will look like with the full stack, which is almost two and a half times as tall as this vehicle. This simulation will give you a sense of the, the scale of things. It slightly reminds me of the scene from Spaceballs. So, yeah, so uh, there, a rapidly reusable orbital launcher or rocket is, is a rapidly reusable rocket is required for <laughs> alliteration um, for, um, achieve, for, for getting a breakthrough in, in cost of access to space, that you don't throw the rockets away every, every flight. 
But an, another key step is refilling on orbit so that uh, the Starship can get to orbit with, let's say, 150 tons of, of payload for the moon or Mars or beyond. Um, and then uh, it can get tankered to fill up its propellant tanks and so that it, it can depart from low Earth orbit with 1,200 tons of propellant. This is a very big thing so that your, um, your delta velocity is, is enough to transport 150, literally 150 tons to the surface of the moon or Mars. Um, with, with full reusability and orbital refilling, um, which is, is essentially that orbital refilling is actually a simplified version of what SpaceX does in, in, in docking with the space station. So it's actually harder to dock with the space station than it is to do orbital refilling. But in practicing in docking with the space station, um, SpaceX has, has also learned how to rendezvous and dock in orbit um, in, in a complex environment. So this is one of the other critical pieces of the puzzle. Um, needed, needed to establish a base on the moon and Mars, a, a city, ultimately. Um, and, yeah, so those, those are the critical ingredients. So we, we think it would be very exciting to have a base on the moon, um, e even if it's just a science base um, that, you know, we have, for example, we have a base uh, at, at Antarctica. Many, many countries have bases in Antarctica for science research. And this would be an incredible area of research. Um, so whether or not people want to live on the moon, there's definitely a lot of science to be done. Um, and uh, I think this is close as well. Um, so that's, that would be quite exciting to do. And then, of course, uh, we can go other, to other places in the solar system, like Saturn. Uh, and other, but the, the critical thing that we need to focus on, I think, is the fastest path to a self-sustaining city on Mars. This is the, this is the fundamental thing. As, as far as we know, as far as we know, we are the only consciousness or the only life that's out there. There might be other life, but we've seen no signs of it. And people often ask me, if you, what, do you, what do you know about the aliens and that? And I'm like, man, I tell you, if I'm pretty sure I'd know. You know, if there were aliens, I've not seen any sign of aliens. Um, and uh, so, like, well, is the military hiding aliens in Area 51 or something? You know, um, that's a popular meme. Um, well, let me tell you, the the biggest, the fastest way to increase defense funding would be to bring out, like, hey, we found an alien. People are like, ah, more money for defense, definitely. <laughs> this is guaranteed. They would try. That would be like on display in two seconds. So, um, now, so, so the, 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 the reality is, as far as we know, uh, this is the only place, at least in this part of the galaxy or in the, in the Milky Way, where there is consciousness. And it's taken a long time for us to get to this point. You know, according to the, the geological records, Earth's been around for about four and a half billion years, although it's mostly molten magma for about a half a billion years. So, but still, several billion years with um, at least bacterial life and multicellular life for several hundred million years. Um, but, but here's the interesting part. Like, it, it, the, the, the sun is gradually getting hotter and bigger. 
And over time, uh, even in the absence of, of global warming, um, man-made stuff, the, the, the sun will um, expand and it will, it will overheat the Earth. My guess is probably, this is on, on, on human timescales, this is a long time, but it's, there's only you know, several hundred million years left. That's all, that's all we got, okay, several hundred million years. Um, but but, it, but th thought of in, if, from an uh, evolutionary standpoint, um, basically if, if it took an extra 10% longer for conscious life to evolve on Earth, it wouldn't evolve at all because it would have been incinerated by the sun. So, so what I'm saying is that it, it's, it appears that consciousness is a very rare and precious thing. And we should take whatever steps we can to preserve the light of consciousness. And the window, the window has been open only now, after four and a half billion years is that window open. That's, that's a long time to wait and it might not stay open for long. I, I'm pretty optimistic by nature, but there's some chance there's some chance that window will not be open for long. And I think we should become a multi-planet civilization while that window is open. And if we do, I think the probable outcome for Earth is even better, if, because then you know Mars could help Earth one day. You know, and so I think we should really do our very best to become a multi-planet species and to extend consciousness beyond Earth, and we should do it now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.